Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Jason Scott, former managing director at Deutsche on the derivatives sales desk, talks with me about his 20 plus years in finance. With stints at Barclays and Credit Suisse, Jason has an interesting perspective, especially since he also worked in a variety of locations, including London, Singapore, and Hong Kong. We learned what it was like back on Black Monday back in 1987 as a trader on the floor, the transition from trader to sales, as well as how he thought about each successive jump in his career. Listen as he gives one piece of critical career advice near the end. Enjoy. Jason, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Hi, thanks very much, Patrick. Nice to meet you. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. You can just kind of hit the high level. Okay, so um, I was a graduate of the Royal Military Academy in the UK. And after I um, left my army service, which I, I did a short service commission with a, a reconnaissance regiment um, in the British Army, serving in um, the British Army of the Rhine in Germany. Um, after I left the army, I joined Barclays in London um, as a derivative uh, trainee on the, on the floor of the options market. And I joined in 1986, just ahead of the um, 1987 crash. I've been through that. So I just graduated as a a trader um, in in the options market just before the crash. So that was a a really interesting introduction to uh, the world of of finance and the world of derivatives. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked for Barclays um, until 1990 on the floor, and then there was an opportunity to move to Frankfurt um, when the Deutsche Terminbörse set up with German options exchange set up, and so Barclays sent a team of um, people over there, and I was I was one of those. And I ended up uh, running the the trading operation on the equity derivative side uh, for for Barclays capital in in Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. Um, Then while I was there, I I moved. I made a transition to Credit Suisse uh, to run the sales team for equity derivatives in Frankfurt. Uh, And that was a a really interesting move because it was moving from the trading side to the sales side. And that's where I stuck uh, for the rest of my career. Uh, I worked then in in London for Credit Suisse and then was transferred in, in 1997 to Singapore. So the opportunity came up to work in Singapore and I thought that would be very interesting because the markets were expanding, derivatives were expanding uh, across the world and Asia was uh, absolutely the place where it was, where it was growing. Mm-hmm. So um, spent a few years on the floor in, in Singapore in the futures market here uh, and then um, in 2003, the floor effectively finished and I started working on electronic sales, which was another really interesting transition. So between 2000 and 2002, um, Credit Suisse developed a, a trading platform called Prime Trade, and I was very much involved in, in the development and, and marketing of that platform. Mm-hmm. Spent a couple of years doing that in Singapore and then moved to Hong Kong um, and arrived in Hong Kong just at the start of the um, the boom in the hedge fund world. Joined, uh, set up the listed derivative uh, sales team in Hong Kong, um, hired some guys, and that was my first real um, management, uh, management role. 
And so we set up a, a team that started with zero revenue. And uh, after three years, we were really, uh, really making a, a huge amount of revenue for the bank. Um, they, then the crash came in, uh, in 2008. And we, we went through that as an extremely interesting experience and uh, referenced my early days back in, um, back in London. And so we survived that. We got, back in 87, you mean? For, yeah, like it, was a, it was a relatively similar, relatively similar experience in terms kind of, of like what we're kind of like what we're going through right now with the Corona crash. We'll call it. Yeah. yeah, that's it, it's um, I mean, the, the three things that are, have been and in fact, this is more in terms of the market movements. This is more similar to 87 than it was to 2008. Or yeah, yeah, and hopefully we're going to get the same type of correction. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's so that was that was very very interesting. And um, in two thousand and seven, I came back to Singapore. We set up an, a, another sales team in Singapore uh, to cater for a slightly different market. Um, and then I was hired by Deutsche Bank to become the the leader of the business across the region. Uh, head of listed derivatives and OTC uh, derivative sales uh, as a managing director. And that was um, obviously representing the region in a global business. And that was a, another interesting transit, transition there. Um, we, I, I worked there for uh, four years running that business. And then Deutsche Bank dialed that business back. And a lot of the senior people in 2014 um, were uh, restructured out of the business and I thought an opportunity for me uh, to do something different and so I worked on the, decided to become a financial trainer working on the training side. So I set up a small, um, my own business, uh, Saray Advisors and uh, did some training for various companies as a freelance and then joined Fitch Learning, uh, part of the Fitch Group, Fitch Ratings uh, sister company, yeah. and worked for um, for them as a financial training faculty, and did that for four years. Um, learned a lot about training, uh, instructional design. Worked with a lot of great young people in a, in a lot of the um, uh, international banks, and then I became independent. Uh, a year ago, and I'm running that business now, working as an associate trainer for many uh, for different uh, financial training organizations. So that's uh, a little bit about me. That's great. No, thanks for the summary. I think uh, going all the way back, let's let's start all the way back, and then I'll probably just jump around a little bit. But from from coming out of school and going straight in, is it is it pretty typical to come out of the military and then just come in as a a trader kind of ground zero or back then is that still do you know if that's still that was the case? that was the way it used to be and it doesn't yeah. happen now um the the now you need a master's degree really or a definitely undergraduate degree to get to to start it's much more formalized i think i was i was very lucky and to, you know i joined how did you, how a, did you get that runner. How were you? How were you lucky? Just networking? Did you know the right? Yeah, people? Net, networking. Um, the, what, the my experience in the in the forces was extremely useful. So, mm -hmm. I knew a lot of people in London. I, I met people who were um, whose family were in the business. It's for, in the, in those days. It was it was very much stockbroking, stock jobbing. It was very. It was a very old school business in London. But did you know? Before. Did you know you wanted to do something in the with the markets back when you were at the for, in the force? Yeah, I mean, I, I I knew people and who were in the in 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 London in the city, mm -hmm. and it's it was something that I was very very interested in. Uh, I I spoke to a lot of people, and after the military, I had the opportunity to go and get have an interview. Um, with a company that was called Wed Derlacher. They were a trading company in London. And in those days, all the, there was a there were separations between the traders and the brokers. Um, it was before the Big Bang. And so, yeah, that was, that was, that was, I was lucky. There's no doubt that I was lucky. I, I networked well. I, I, I knew what I wanted to do. That's not lucky if you're putting in the work networking. Yeah. <laughs> 
I say you're, so, making your yeah. own luck. you're making your own luck when you're meeting a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, no, that was, but it was, it was a different time. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily happen like that anymore. Okay, um, so you, so you and that was your first big break, your first big, you know, the bank you worked for was Credit Suisse, correct? So the, yeah, the first, the first, my first break was, my first At job Barclays, was on the sorry. floor in London. At Barclays, yeah. At Barclays. So the, but it was a, you know, they hired, every year they hire like 30 guys and mm -hmm. they put them on the floor. And they, you're basically a runner. So you're a trading assistant running around, um, you know, a similar role you like a day nowadays. We're getting people's lunch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> taking the dry cleaning. Yeah, so that was, that was the, uh, those were the early days. And after a year, then there were maybe four or five of us left. So that's the, that's the thing. You, 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 they throw you in. How do you survive? How did you survive? How were you one of the people? Because you were there for seven years, your initial stint with Barclays. How did you survive that initial kind of runner um, time period? And what was the transition like? How did you actually, what's the goal to actually get you to start trading eventually, right? Yeah, so you, the, the goal is to become a trader. So to get your trading badge. So you start off with a, you know, a blue badge and you, you end up with a, a yellow badge and then you go, you know, you, and so you, you eventually you should get a silver badge. So that's the idea mm -hmm. But that. Um, and the, the, my focus was always on what was going to happen next, you know, because it was pretty old school and yeah. what was developing was the derivative world. So the options market was opening up and mm -hmm. we had a lot of clever people coming over from the States and from Europe and they were all in our market. And I knew, that that was what was going to change that was so my advice is always look to what the next thing is so the options market derivative market was opening up that's where i wanted to be and there were very few people who were interested in it they that nobody really knew that it would be such a big thing so, so that you was, were i mean you were at barclays for seven years so you eventually how long did it take you to get to that silver badge and what what is it typically today? Is it? I mean, it's obviously very different. No, it's a lot. It was a lot shorter for me. So basically, I was there for a basically eighteen months before I was able to before I was given my own book. So um, obviously under supervision of of, a, of senior dealers, mm -hmm. um, but I was given my own book after eighteen months, and then you know you just have to progress. Then I was also very lucky because the 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 financial markets went into a tailspin in, in 87. And that was good for uh, you. That was good for you guys because you did the drill. Yeah. Very, very good because we had the, the book was set up absolutely perfectly for that type of a move, you know, very long of options, very long of volatility mm. and the market, the markets spiked, you know, in terms of volatility, um, very, very quickly. And Tell me about that day. Uh, the, was it black Monday or, yeah <laughs> were you were you uh you said the book was positioned you had a small book on that day do you remember it and you remember yeah i remember it very well we had good money yeah so what so what happened basically is that over that that period leading up to the actual um black monday mm -hmm. um there'd been the market had been going up and up and up over the summer a lot of pension funds and uh asset managers have been selling a lot of um, options because they wanted extra yield and they wanted to take in the premium and we were the ones who were effectively warehousing a lot of those options the October expiry was going to happen in about five days time and or in, a, in about a week's time and they we had our books were loaded with um, out-of-the-money options puts on um, mostly puts because the market would be going up and we were getting new strikes higher and higher strikes and we had a lot of options on our books and so the we the, what happened on the friday was that there was a massive storm came across london thursday night friday morning that it was very difficult to access london a lot of trains and buses and things were were were, were down i was actually i actually lived relatively close to the office so i walked in it took me about an hour but i walked into the office that morning because there was no traffic no there were a lot of trees down on the roads mm -hmm. so the stock market didn't open that day on the friday and the the but the futures market was open so it was gyrating all over the place and we so we didn't i didn't we didn't know what our books were going to look like on monday morning because the stock market 
hadn't opened and we didn't know what the equity prices were going to look like. But those, sorry, um, to interrupt you, the out of the money puts, those were expiring on Friday. So they theoretically, that wouldn't help the, you on Monday. Um, they were going to expire the following week. So oh, the following still, week. So you, yeah. they were still good. Okay. They were still good. Yeah. Thank goodness. They were still good. <laughs> so, yeah. So we had, um, so as we, but we obviously there were further months as well. So we had October, you know, November, December, etc. So okay. the, uh, we were, um, there was a massive move on Wall Street that Friday and, and, uh, and because London hadn't been open, nobody would be able to hedge themselves. So coming in on Monday morning was, in, was going to be quite interesting. Uh, and it was, uh, and the market was in, was pretty much in free fall and stuck and things were relatively easy to trade that day. It was the Tuesday when things really got bad because that was the night, Black Monday was the night that Wall Street, that the S&P fell over 20%. Right. Um, and that was, that's like an 18 standard deviation move. So it's uh, um, Tuesday was a total panic. Um, effectively, what was happening is that all, all our computer models were completely out. Um, in those days, we didn't have things that could update dynamically. So it was very much seat of pants trading mm -hmm. to know what our positions were going to be it was because i was operating on the floor based trading market there was it was pretty chaotic um and it was very difficult to get in touch with our the the books who were running the underlying uh, stock equity so that's to hedge yourself so it was i had a, a walkie-talkie a radio we had phone lines but our traders weren't picking up and so our positions were just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, fortunately, the right way because of all the puts that we had. So it was, almost, so we were, it was almost good you couldn't trade out of them. Exactly. I couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't hedge. It made, it made for a bigger win. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, so we had, um, yeah, we, had, we had a good experience. The, the index book, not so, bad, not so much. They were, yeah. they were actually short of a lot of options. They're short of premium. So they they lost a, a great deal of money um, initially. Do you remember how much your book actually made? You, I don't know what you were running, how much you were managing. Yeah. Uh, I can't. I, I do remember, but I'm not going to tell you. So <laughs> it was because uh, we, we had the the individual stock options traders and and the pits, and then we had the index book who was running the FTSE and index, and those guys were bleeding badly, mm. and they were not really. They were supported but not fully hedged off by us that on the equity individual equities options teams um and so uh, the boss of, the, of our team was you know was obviously very worried uh, he spoke to his leaders and they told us that effectively that, that we were supported um by the bank and that we would that we just had to make the best of it and work through it mm -hmm. and in the end of the day those guys uh doubled up on their short position in terms of vault and they they, they took some very brave decisions um, over that period of time, traded as if they were coming in flat, and they, they uh, effectively doubled up their, their short vol position at, at a much higher level. And over the next three or four days, those, those positions really came, came good. So they as, as, the market re as the market rebounded? Yeah, as the market readjusted, as the market sort of readjusted at a higher vol level but um, but not at the complete spike so if you think about the vix index now you know it's been up to 83 in the last few days um now it's it's i can't i don't i don't know what it was last night but it's been from like 20 to 83 and then back down to 60 mm -hmm. down to 50 and so on so you have to if you're short of vol you know it's not going to go up forever so you just got to keep you know keep keep going um sell and buy sell and buy sell and buy on the vol side so those guys were very brave considering they came in with a very uh, dodgy position at the beginning of the week uh, and so they basically ended up flat on the week and the option books this the individual equity option books had um, we'd made a lot of money because of the, the book position effectively all we had to do was try and sell options that we had um, and try and hedge out our delta positions, you know, so that we, we we could, when the market rebounded, we had we had we were long and not short still. So that was the, that was the key thing. We had a relatively easy job 
compared to the index book. That was my experience on, on that crash. Fascinating. It's like a look back in history. It's really and very, very uh, timely to talk about that, given what's going on now. Um, no, it was, it, was, it was good, yeah. So you were there for another five years after that, that momentous week, I'll call it. Um, and what kind of, what made you move? Can you remind me, what, what was that kind of transition like? Where had you started looking? Obviously, by that point, you're running a larger book, I assume. With yeah, so we were, I was running a larger book and then they said, did, did we want to go and go to a new market? So the new market that was opening was in Europe and it was in Germany. Mm -hmm. And they decided in 1990 that they were going to um, open an options trading uh, part of the exchange. And so that was something that was really interesting for me because it was electronic. Um, they were the first real um, electronic market to start up and, to, and in German style, they decided they were going to do it. They're going to do it well. And so Barclays set up an, op uh, an office over there and they asked if any of us wanted to go. And I, I knew or I had a feeling that the floor operations around the world were going to start closing up. And so the first opportunity was a great opportunity was to go over to Germany and learn how to trade in an office and not on the floor to learn about the technology, how you would um, build or use models, how you would, how we'd start to become more professional about the whole thing. And as soon as you get those, uh, the electronic side of the market, then you can obviously layer over a huge number of programs and stuff that you can start, you know, being much more professional about the whole thing. And it was actually, so that was the motivation was to go over there and join an electronic or see in the nascent electronic market. And that was with Barclays, so you made that move with Barclays? That was still with Barclays, yeah. Okay. Um, then, um, while I was there, I, I became very friendly with the, the team at, at, at Credit Suisse. Um, and they were looking for somebody on the sales side to, to build their sales team up. And they, they asked me if I wanted to come across. Now, that was... You know, that was interesting because it was a sales role and building a sales team, not something that I'd done before. Um, but I was attracted by that. And so I used my knowledge on, this, on the trading side. I used my product knowledge um, and, talked to, and to, to, talk about, to talk to clients effectively and build a, a client base. And that was a really good move for me because you, as a trader, you're really only as good as your last P&L. And the, you have to make, you have to, you know, make money, make money quickly. And if things, you know, things change, people, people's priorities change, business priorities change. You know, as a working for a big bank, you'd be working on this product. You might, you may well be very successful, but they may decide that they're, that they're not interested in running a team in there anymore or this and that. So it's a, I, I think, if you can build up a sales team, uh, build up a client base, that gives you a, a more longevity in your career, to be honest, or so on less trading, volatility in your career. Yeah, so on the trading side, it's more volatile. You consistently have to be generating P&L or you know, mm -hmm. positive P&L. Um, you, know, you can have your down months or whatever, but overall, you can't have too many in a row, I assume. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, and and, 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 and yeah. banks' priorities change, so they might move out of your product and you find yourself on the shelf. So, so that's more of a volatile. So Great. the jump to the sales side, how should I think of you? Were you jumping to the sales side for the exact same types of products you were like derivative products that you were trading before? Exactly. Yeah. So the, 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 there was a huge number of new products available uh, on the derivative side for, for, um, for clients to trade. There was a new market, Europe. And um, so. So tell, the, me, tell me what was that? Like you had to build a team. So tell me like, how much guidance did the bank actually give you? Were they just like, here are some people we know are interested here. Here are a thousand phone numbers to call. Um, here's, here's HR and good luck. Just create a team. Or how much like, was it you talking with the head of, I don't know, um, the head of all sales, like trying to strategize about that. Or, mm. I'm curious how much professionalism there is in a large bank like this, opening up a new, um, a new initiative. Right. Well, it was, it's an interesting question. Um, so the, the key was working with the other parts of the business. So that on the trading side, 
you know, it was, I had to work very closely. You do, you have to work very closely with the traders because they're the guys who are going to be the ones who are going to take your client positions. And they need to know that you're, that you're very professional, that you know what you're talking about. So I worked very, very, very closely with the trading team. So the derivative trading team, the guys who are running the book for Credit Suisse. Yep. In, and so uh, the work very closely with those guys, work with the operations teams um, to make sure that they understand that you, they're confident that you can book the trades to the clients. You work with a compliance team so that they understand that you're onboarding clients in the correct way. So um, you look with the legal guys, the risk management teams, um, and the HR people who are doing the recruiting. So to, uh, to build a sales business is, is a very, very broad br brush stroke. It's not just sitting down in a desk and, and starting to call clients. Right. You, you have to, the, the bank has to be confident that you understand that to onboard your client legally and in compliance with all the rules to make sure that um, the operations team are confident that you can book the trades out. That sounds like a lot of upfront work. A ton oh, yeah, of upfront work. A ton of upfront work, yeah. So it was several months in the, or a, a few months. Mm -hmm. And, I, and there were, there's various people in the senior management, the, the, the business managers, the CEO, and the CEO of the business um, who was interested to know what the progress was. And obviously, they, the CEO wants to make sure that you're going to start booking trades and start earning commission as soon as possible. The recruitment of other salespeople is relatively easy compared to all that. Um, the, the, we, you network across the bank. You've spoken to a lot of these people on the phone already because working um, as a trader, on the, I've been dealing with salespeople all the time, people that ring me up and ask for prices. So you know who the good salespeople are around the street. It isn't difficult. That isn't difficult. It's the the business of setting up the actual business within the bank is is tricky and you have to deal with all these different uh, agencies within that are going to support you so let's say you're a few months in you feel like you have everything all the processes set up all the for the hiring you've started bringing salespeople in tell me what that kind of next stage of growth is in terms of building that business out and if you can give the listeners just a little bit of a almost like a little proxy of what, how they can think of like the trading, the actual trading side versus the sales side. So the trading is the actual execution of the trades that the clients want and the sales is to make sure that the, the institutions and the hedge funds and the, are doing the trades with your bank. Mm -hmm. So um, in derivatives, especially in, in, that, in that market, in the futures market, um, then there is two aspects to it. One is the execution of the client orders. Mm -hmm. And the other is the, the sales of the ideas and the marketing of your business to the to the client base, and so we have to ha you have to have your desk manned. You have to be um, you know it, it, it's a very rigorous process. You have to interact with other teams across the world because you've got a hand on the the book. So at the end of the day, you've got a book of client business that you've built up, and they've got positions, and they have to be able to call somebody. Um, 24 hours a day to understand what their positions are and to be able to trade them. So that that process needs to be set up correctly in order that clients on the on the execution side, that clients are convinced that, that you can support them 24 hours a day. So that's important and that's the execution side of the business. On the if, if onboarding clients or getting clients to work with you, um, is a question of more on, the, on marketing. It's about connecting, networking, talking to people, thinking about trade ideas and selling those ideas. And the important thing is to get at least a couple of clients who are going to be your go-to people. And you've got to have, you've got to build relationships with those guys. You've got to make sure that they are, that they are successful and that they come back to you when you know, because they appreciate what you're doing for them. And at the initial stages, you're talking about the initial stages, then it is important to have at least three, four, five clients who really love you and are going to come back to you and going to so put trades through you. 
do those just by definition have to be larger clients for the flood for there to be enough flow or does it, Not, it well, in the derivatives world, it doesn't have to be a large, in, in terms of a large institution, it doesn't have to be a large institution. It just has to be somebody who's doing a lot of trades. Doing a lot of fun. Okay. And, uh, and so, you know, I was lucky because I built relationships with a couple of hedge funds who were based in, in fact, on the West Coast um, in, uh, in, in the US. Mm -hmm. And so I built relationships with these guys. They were interested in what was going on in Europe at that time. And we had, there was a lot of mispricing of options at that time um, because a lot of people didn't really quite understand about the, um, the carry trade, about how to you know, price options for dividends and so on. So there a lot of dividend, um, you know, dividend arbitrage trades going on and so on because people looked at pricing in different ways. And some of the, Offshore people had uh, a different perspective on what the right prices were compared to the onshore people. So there was a lot of opportunity. And once you've done that for one client, um, you can refine the trade and then you can sell that trade to another similar client. And slowly you can build up your key bunch of 10, 15 clients that are important to you and you're important to them. Why wouldn't the bank and some of these best arbitrage trades, why wouldn't the bank take that when they were allowed to do their own prop trading, take that idea and do it themselves? Yeah, they, they were doing it themselves. Um, and so you, the, uh, there's, there were opportunities, that, um, obviously, there are certain restrictions on how much, when, et cetera, et cetera. Got it. But, it, but um, arbitrage trading um, did happen, and it, um, but it wasn't just the, it, that wasn't the only trade that was going on. Um, so it was, a, it, was a lot, it, was, it was a lot going on there. Uh, at the time, the bank was taking on some of those trades, obviously restricted in, in terms of what they can do, uh, both on the legal side, compliance, position side, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but some clients, uh, offshore clients, we had onshore clients who wanted to do the other side of the trades. So we were um, putting through a lot of trades through the through the sales team and through the through the and onto the traders' books when we we didn't find a, a a client for the other side of the trade. So it was a lot of mostly agency, um, but a lot of times we were putting it onto the traders' books as well. There. Okay. So you were at Credit Suisse for a, a great run. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me how things evolved over time there, and then um, what prompted you to kind of for your next chapter. What prompted you? Okay, so um, always looking for the next thing. So Asia was the next thing that opened up, and uh, I was given the opportunity to come work in Singapore, and thought it was the, just the best idea. I had a, a young, my personal uh, circumstances suited that. Um, my wife was working in the industry, and we had a young. Uh, child and it was very very it was a great place to it's a great place to bring to bring a family up and so we both got a chance to move and we moved and uh, that initially we were a bit worried because the, the markets um, we went in straight into the Asian crisis 1998 99 um, but uh, you know we had experience of that already so it was a it was it was again another interesting move uh, so always looking for the next thing. So Asia was the next thing for us and the next thing for me. Again, derivative markets opening up, you know, a lot of interest from global investors mm -hmm. trading into Asia and a lot of products that were being, um, new products that were being brought to market. And so that was, that was, another, that was the next interesting move for me. I went with Credit Suisse. They were very, very good to me. They built the team up very very quickly, they put a lot of investment into it. I think they realized that Asia was the next thing. Um, and so we, we built up in Singapore, we built up in Hong Kong, we built up in Mumbai in India, we built up in, in Seoul, Korea. Uh, basically that sort of um, non-Japan, Asia type business. And when you say built up, you mean you're creating teams in each of the yeah. markets? We, 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 we hired five guys in Mumbai, went to access the Indian market, which was very big. And this is all tied in a lot with the fact that hedge funds were interested in trading in emerging markets. And so there were huge opportunities in um, 
in Korea, in the Korean one market. Yeah. That was exploding. Um, so we set up a team down there. We had th three guys in Seoul. We had five guys in Mumbai. Um, Hong Kong was, we, we put five guys into Hong Kong. I moved into Hong Kong to, to open up that business. And so the non-Japan Asia market, especially for the hedge funds, was very, very interesting. I'm curious how your role, you, know, you are obviously in a leadership role at this point, doing a lot of manage, managing and um, recruiting and setting up processes. I'm curious like what your day-to-day -day was like and <laughs> you're flying a lot, traveling a lot. Are you, on the, you're, are you doing any of the actual um, selling to the clients or <coughs> keeping the relationship? Yeah, well, at that point, are you just... By, by then, the, I was, there was a, we had a, you know, a very, very professional team of execution sales guys who were yeah. hitting, making sure the phones were being answered and so on. But, you know, so, so although I had a seat at the desk, I wasn't always at the desk. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the time was traveling um, and meeting clients, building relationships with clients um, and working with the prime finance team at Credit Suisse. So obviously a lot of our clients were clients of the prime brokerage operation. And so spent a lot of time with those guys talking to clients, doing introductory pitches. And because the hedge fund industry was booming at that time in, in, in Asia, then we were doing a lot of pitches, um, involved in pitches for prime brokerage relationships. So- As um, the derivative kind of expertise side. That's right, as the Got derivative it. sales guy. So when a, when a prime, when, a, a, when you're selling a prime services business, listed derivative futures and clearing is is very much part of that they don't have to um you know if they become a prime services relationship they don't have to do their clearing and and so and trading on the derivative side with that prime broker but it obviously helps uh, you know to have that relationship built in for sure so as when you said entertaining clients how much of your time by the time you're let's say you're in singapore for a few years how much of it was going out and having to entertain clients so you're taking them out to dinner fancy dinners and doing all this how much of your <laughs> life became that um, um a quite a lot um but because was that hard we were, with the family with a young family yeah i mean it was it was it was hard there's a lot of traveling that was the thing because you know we asia is obviously split up over many many different areas and so we're trying to get into the the, the regional client base so there's, there's two parts of the business. One is the incoming business from overseas. So obviously we couldn't entertain those clients too often, um, but we would do overseas trips. So we spent, you know, at least go to New York twice a year and we would speak to all the, we would go and meet all the night desks in, in New York. So we would be really meeting our clients, you know, from about eight o'clock in the evening through till you know, three or four o'clock in the morning as mm -hmm. we were speaking to the night desk who trade into Asia. Yeah. So we did a lot of trips. We did trips like that, obviously. They were like twice a year. But uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, we were trying to build up a, a regional client base as well. So we spent a lot of time traveling on business trips to Beijing, Shanghai, Seoul, Korea, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, so a lot of traveling. The entertainment within Singapore, not so much. I mean, we didn't spend every night out. Um, Hong Kong was, was pretty, because a lot of hedge funds in Hong Kong spend a lot of time out in the evenings with those guys, um, building relationships there. So yeah, entertainment, traveling, all part of the business. Did you like that or did you, after a certain amount of time, were you like, okay, this is, this is not for me or did you just... <laughs> no, no, it was great. No, it's Loved fantastic. It. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I mean, it, it was a there's a real buzz, um, you know. And you, we, we went to great sporting events that like the the F1 in Shanghai that we went. I was ten years in running at the rugby at the Hong Kong Sevens uh, rugby. We used to fly all our all our all our clients over from London, put them up in hotels, um, take them out for three or four nights running. In, in Hong Kong, <laughs> went through the whole Hong Kong Seven craziness. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of craziness going on in Hong Kong around the rugby sevens. I can promise you that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm sure it's a blast. So, tell me, kind of, uh, what was your last state? You know, you ended up eventually going to Deutsche, um, and tell me what kind of that, the last kind of formal bulge bracket experience for you in the, you know, still doing sales, doing mm -hmm. um, similar kind of type of work. But tell me, kind of. 
what was that final um, final stint like? Kind of similar. I mean, besides title being a managing director um, there and leading that that entire business. Um, what so else? there's a lot of a lot of um, a lot of networking and a lot more um, as a as a senior as the leader of the businesses. You've you've got to spend a lot more time building internal relationships across the across the bank, um, mm-hmm. especially in a business that's that's relatively new so making sure that you speak to the traders speak to the operations teams make sure you you your lead your, the the leaders of those business businesses really re, are going to rely on you so that you're the point person there um, so that you are the significant person in that business that you are going to be the one that they can rely on if things if they're unsure about things and things don't always go a hundred percent right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you've got to make sure that the leaders of the compliance team, the le- leaders of the legal teams, that the leaders of the HR teams, uh, they know you, they, they look at that business and you are that person. And so they, you are the go-to person for that business. A lot, you've got to advertise your, yeah, a lot of pressure. Yeah. You've got to advertise your business, but you advertise your business within within the operation it's a big it, it, it is a big operation those the, the trading floor has got several hundred people on it yeah. you are just one tiny little desk in that huge operation mm. and you've got to make sure that your business is significant because it produces a, a decent amount of money and therefore people can notice you notice your business um, but you've got to also be out there making sure that you that you're advertising your business networking and because the people that are working for you rely on you to do that it sounds quite entrepreneurial even being inside of a false bracket bank oh it's it, and more uh, especially in a, in a bank um like deutsche bank which is an extremely aggressive and well, certainly was at, at the time an extremely aggressive business an extremely aggressive place to some work. of the some of the stories i've heard from the trading floors you know people throwing punches and stuff like that i'm sure <laughs> you have plenty of those <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's uh it, it, it all seems to be very i mean it's it's all very very um professional um but it is also there's a, an undercurrent of aggressiveness i mean there's an undercurrent of of yeah of aggressiveness and it's yeah. it's highly professional it doesn't i didn't ever see any unprofessional behavior but uh, you know you have to be aware that you have to promote your own business within the operation so did you feel like in your stint there the four years you were you were able to successfully do that or did you feel like it was just bad timing or bad luck that they decided they were going to pull out of that specific market or um like would you have would you have done let me rephrase that would you have done anything differently leading up would you have taken that jump to deutsche or would you have preferred to have stayed back looking back now no, I'd definitely taken the jump to Deutsche Bank. You've got to stretch yourself. You've got to find that uh, if that opportunity to lead a business comes along, don't turn it down. Mm-hmm. Um, the the reason is that you that you need to make sure that you've stretched yourself to the as, as far as you can and taken every role that that you that you feel you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Deutsche Bank wasn't set up for a, for a, a, a platform business like like ours uh you need a lot of heavy infrastructure and a lot of you know it support credit suisse was an, an extraordinary place in terms of the platform that they had to uh, integrate their clients te- in terms of technology the technology at deutsche bank was much more geared towards entrepreneurial otc trading and with each business having their own way of doing their risk management they had their own specific it support it wasn't really a, a platform business um, in terms of mass clearing of clients mm. um, and so connections to exchanges connections to ccps uh, less less good internal support less good but uh, just a different type of business and although deutsche bank was prepared to put in the resources and that's why they hired me um, and others across the across the globe and they were aggressively going after that business. Um, then they uh, effectively decided that 
the, the capital constraints that they were under coming into 2014, 2015, where they, they weren't going to be able to put the resources in that they needed. So that's, that was it. They were a bit late into the business, to be honest. They were a little late, and then the capital constraints, was that what changed in 2014? Their performance was, was lagging so that they needed capital elsewhere? Or yeah, there's, uh, I mean, especially in, I mean, they needed capital in, uh, specifically in the, the North American business. But, it, you know, I don't want to, I'm not in, you know, privy to everything that went on. Of course, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to get your perspective, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I know um, the, the last few years have been especially hard on them here um, in the yeah. US as well. So maybe a continuation of what was started. Yeah, they just, just reprioritize, um, yeah. go with what they feel they can do well. And, um, you know, if you're, in a, if you're trying to build a business at that time, then, you know, they're going to withdraw the resources from that. Absolutely the, the right decisions to be made. So when you, um, when they, tell me a little bit about that, that transition. So when they told you how much of a heads up did they give you? Was it like one day you're working towards building this business, the next day they're like, sorry, it's done. And tell me about that transition of, okay, how you started thinking about what you want to do next. I know it gave you a huge opportunity. You kind of maybe for the first time in 20 <laughs> plus years, you could breathe and stop and maybe think about what you wanted to do personally. But tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. So um, the transition out of the business is, it's not easy for anybody and it doesn't matter how much of a heads up you get. The, the initially they started withdrawing the, the teams in, in New York and then in London. And so it was pretty obvious that the, the writing was on the wall. Um, so at that stage, you then decide, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to go after another job on the street or, or do you want to um, take an opportunity, opportunity to do something different? And so um, the, the, the day it happens is not, it, you know, for anybody, it's not great um, to, to be told, that the, the business is, is not going to be running anymore and that, that, you, that you are no longer acquired, that you're being restructured out of the business. It, it doesn't matter how much um, heads up you get, it's not an, it's not an easy day for you. But the, after you've taken a deep breath and looked around, then you decide whether you want to really um, do another role like that or whether you want to do something different. And a lot of people do want to do another role like that. They want to get on. They want to continue in that business. And if there's an op another opportunity for them, yeah, go for it. That's fine. I, I decided I was going to take a step back at that time. And uh, so I'd always been interested in mentoring. I always been interested in training. I've done a lot of training before, with our clients. Before we get to the training aspect, do you mind? Um, my listeners always ask me to ask, in terms of compensation, are you are you comfortable sharing around in a wide ballpark what you had been making? Was it a point where you could do what you wanted to do? Because you were very senior for for a good number of years. Was money no longer a concern, or was it uh, had you lived within your you know means so that you didn't feel like you needed it anymore? Um, the in I, I don't think we got as much of a compensation package as the as the guys in New York and London. Um, yeah. Asia was a less you know in terms of the revenues is less than those areas. Um, so the, you know, when you leave, um, obviously if you've been a managing director working for Deutsche Bank and you've been a senior person throughout, you've got, you know, you're not penniless. Right. So, uh, the compensation was good. And so there's not so much pressure to, you know, to immediately get another job, the, but, not, you know, ask, you know, your, your personal circumstance will decide that, you know, yeah. you know, I've got uh, kids at college and so there's no, you know, you want to still earn. I mean, you want to still make money. That's, yeah. that's why you joined the business in the first place. You're not going to do nothing. Right. Um, it is, it is nice to, to still to have an income. And so, yeah, I don't think uh, there's, nobody's ever going to say to you, right. That's it. I, I'm going to go off and just lie on the beach. <laughs> right. Yeah. You'd be, bored. You'd be bored very fast. Well, it's not just being bored. You need, you know, you're like earning money as well. So it's, uh, yeah. and there's no point in just sitting around and spending your savings. Yeah. So the, the for my personal circumstances, no, it was, it was, it, it's not, I was not in a position where I could just say completely, you know, lie on a beach somewhere, but then didn't want to. Yeah. 
So, okay. So continue. So you were saying you started looking into these training and something you enjoyed, had enjoyed doing. Yeah. So I've done, I've done quite a lot of training with clients. So the training clients is a very important part of the business. And we used to do training sessions for them and, uh, and then doing training sessions for our own internal people uh, was important. So when I left, um, I, I thought maybe that would be something that I could do. And so that was, I, learning about that was, was just an, another, another interesting path. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I did. And learning about instructional design, talking to people, standing up in front of people, something that I feel that, that I can do. And it, I really, it, it was, it's become a new buzz for me. And it, it's, it, it, it is extremely gratifying to get good feedback. And have an interaction with people who are in front of you or um, in a webinar, getting the feedback. It's it is a gratifying experience. And so, you know, helping people to understand the way that things work um, and doing a, a good session, maybe uh, a day, two, three, a week, dealing with um, a graduate training program where you meet them over a period of time and you, you've got follow-up that's going on, that is a, it's an extremely gratifying experience. That's great. So yeah, you've been doing that for now five plus years. Mm-hmm. And um, anything else before we call the, the podcast, anything you kind of looking back over your career, advice you would give your younger self or give, your, give to the younger listeners as they kind of try to map their career? Yeah, I think you've got to, you've got to be aware that you are not just working for the bank you're working for yourself to a certain extent and so your networking within the business outside of your of the bank is very is equally important your external interests uh, your industry associations and you've got to market yourself as well um, and so that's important that is important um, you're you know you've got to be re- relatively selfish to a certain extent um, You've got to understand where the next move is going to come. You've got to be got to keep your eyes peeled and make sure you build your industry connections. Um, there are plenty of industry associations that you can join, um, whether you're working in the futures business or in um, investment banking, um, whether you're partaking in, in forums and these type of the WSO. Get your name out there um, because when if if you're going to look for a new opportunity you've got to be known on the street go to conferences sit on panels make sure you're a name in the industry that is important it's not just to represent the bank it's to represent yourself that's great well jason i think we'll end there thank you so much for taking the time a lot longer than i expected but it was a really interesting story no no oh you can edit it (laughs) No, that's great. <laughs> stick it out there. Thanks, right, well, Patrick, it's been great to meet you. I hope, I hope your listeners and, and readers find it interesting. Um, I don't think I'll probably be the same profile as a lot of your people. Um, so, but we love that. Interesting to get a perspective from somebody who's uh, been through it and come out the other end. For sure. Thanks so much. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.